This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello and welcome to Good Things, the show where we talk to good people who are doing good things. I'm Dashan Johan and my guest on today's show is Nalini Elumalai. She's an activist and program officer at Article 19 Malaysia. Now, if you've not heard of Nalini, she is a relentless and fearless human rights defender. Someone who's there at almost every single progressive rally and protest. Um, and whenever activists and journalists get hauled in by the authorities, Nalini is always there until every single one of them is released. Welcome to the show, Nalini. How are you doing? Thank you, Dash. Um, thank you for the introduction. It's a lot. <laughs> but I'm good. I'm good. All right. So... Nalini, you currently work at um, you work as the program officer at at Article Nineteen Malaysia. So let's start there. Um, tell me about the work you do, particularly with Article Nineteen. So um, Article Nineteen is basically an international organization working on freedom of expression, freedom of information, media freedom. So we have uh, offices uh, globally, but in Malaysia, we particularly focus on two main um, issues. One is like um, countering hate speech. So we do a lot of programs, dialogues, um, capacity building training for people to understand what is freedom of expression and what is hate speech. Um, and other than that, we also do a lot of work on reforming um, or to provo- uh, provide more enabling environment for freedom of expression by working on reforming laws that restricting uh, freedom of expression in Malaysia. So Basically, these are our main work um, and coming out with a lot of legal analysis and publications um, to give, you know, analysis on certain problematic laws, uh, looking into, uh, looking from a human rights perspective, especially freedom of expression perspective. So these are some of the work that um, I do in Malaysia. So, but it isn't just Article 19, right? You've been an activist for more than 10 years now. How many years exactly have you been an activist, Nalini? It's- 15 years? 15 years. 2006, yeah. Wow. Okay. So you've been an activist for 15 years now. Um, You've worked, um, you've done a work with Swaram. You've been part of various rallies and protests over the years. Um, Even the folks at, you know, um, uh, Party Socialist Malaysia Youth, um, they always, when you go on Twitter, um, they always, um, you know, throw a lot of praises uh, to you. They all, all look up to you. Many, many young activists look up to you. When did your journey in activism um, actually begin? You said 2006, but where, when was the uh, entry point exactly and why did you decide to get into activism? I think it started when I was a student in UKM. Um, so I studied political science in UKM. So uh, my sister was already an activist. Uh, she also part of the student group called Jawatan Kwasa Kabajikan Mahasiswa Mahasiswi. So it's a JKMI. So it's a very left-leaning uh, student group. Um, one, so one of the founder members is Arul from Party Socialist Malaysia. So that's where, you know, my journey started. So I was, uh, my sister was like, I remember she told me like, okay, there's a group in UKM because she also, you know, part of the group. But she didn't really talk about it in my house. But she said, there's a group in UKM that you might want to join and try to see, you know, what else you can do besides just studying, right? So, and then I say, okay, I'll try and then when I got into UTM, there's some seniors, they came to see me, they say, oh, your sisters uh, told us that you're also here. So let's, do you want, do you, um, want to join us for a program? Then I was like, okay, fine. You know, uh, for me, it's like 
everything was new. So I was just ready to explore everything that was mm. there. And then I said, okay, then they, they brought me to this estate called Bremer, Bremer Estate. And then uh, there was a input sessions. I don't know what's going on, you know, because it's totally new for me. And then there was so many old senior citizens of women. They all like, you know, they came and they weren't sitting in front of us. And I was thinking like, what's going on? You know, who are these people and things like that. And then I was told about the struggle of them fighting for their housing rights for almost 10 years. And then they finally won a free house, you know. Mm. And um, so I was like all these senior citizens above 60 years old sitting there and telling a story. And then we all were so young. We were like 21 years old. And then I remember this one particular auntie. She's, she's passed away now, but I was very close to her after that. She actually challenged all of us, you know, at that particular meeting. Everyone was like, you know, oh, you're all fine. Well, but she's the only one who was like challenged all of us. She said, you know what? We are very old. We have done our part. We have got our house and we have done part. Whatever we can do for this society, we have done. It, you know, I'm throwing to you whether you want to take this challenge. And, I, and then she said, I hope to see all of you in the struggle for a longer term. <laughs> for, for us, it's like, okay, you know. We took the challenge. La. Right. And I think I took the challenge very seriously. And then here I am, you know. So I think I thank her for that because after after that, you know, I saw her in many struggles, protests. And I always thankful to her because she's the one who actually put that thing on me. And then uh, I challenged us. Um, at the beginning, it was more like challenge. You know, you took the challenge, you want to prove something. <laughs> but along the year, you just learn that, you know, it's, your, it's, it's something that I uh, passionate about. Mm. and some mm. that's my responsibility end of the day so i took it in that way so, yeah. so was that's that how it started so was that the you know a, a, the significant turning point in your life that really sparked this in you because a lot of people you know they have dreams and their dreams are you know regular either you want to do like you know doctor lawyer engineer or you have you know dreams to become a singer or a dancer especially when you're in university you know but you what you're doing now what you say your passion is right you are putting your life on the line quite regularly, or at least your safety on the line regularly. You know, constantly have to deal with the police. Um, you're constantly attending a lot of these uh, rallies and protests. So was that the moment, um, you know, where you, where you spoke to these senior citizens, especially that lady in particular, and it, and it really changed your perspective? Or did you think about these things uh, when you were a kid as well? As I say, you know, my exposure from the student days, what I learned... Um, I saw a lot of injustice, a mm. lot mm. of inequality in the society, you know, like um, coming from a very middle-class family, my background itself, you know, I sometimes nobody understood why your parents have to really work so hard and why some people, you know, they don't have to, right? And why there's like so much of uh, poverty, but why some people can live a good life. There's always that things going on, even when you're a child, but you don't understand certain things, right? But when I joined the student movement and I joined the particular uh, group, and then when I kind of see so many things happening around me, right? Um, and I can see there's so much of uh, violations and, uh, you know, and uh, especially among the marginalized uh, society. So that actually for me is like more like um, open up my mind, open up my eyes to the, re- to the reality, you know? And um, so at that point of time, um, I was thinking to myself, like, 
what can I do, you know, to, to change this? It's more like it was easy at that time. Say, oh, maybe we can do this. We can change the thing. But I've been activist for 15 years. You know, some struggle is still ongoing, right? Mm -hmm. So, and we're still doing a lot of things to change. But, you know, it's still a, a very, like, a small steps towards changing, right? So, I learned that, you know, if I, if I it's, for example, if I want to part of it, or I ignore and I do something else. So, I decided I'm not going to ignore this the injustice happening around me and I want to do something about it. Let it be um, whatever it is, you know. My job is like your job as well, you know, like any other job, right? Like you enjoy doing what you do because you believe in that. Um, it's just some, you know, people who work in office or you, if you love the job and you do, you can go to any extent. My job comes with a lot of risk, yes, as much as any other work, you know, that we all have. But I feel, end of the day, I feel happy because, you know, no matter what happened, there's some people here trying to do some changes to this society and I'm part of it. That's what makes me, you know, it's worth it, you know. Um, I don't say that the risk is uh, something that we're all happy about. We don't. Um, but every work comes with risk, right? Every work comes with certain things, but you have to just face it, just like, Activists, we have so many other things to face as well, you know. So we just take it as it comes and we prepare for worst case scenario and things like that. So I think, you know, that, that's what matters, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Talk to me about your family, Nalini, because I'm very curious to know, when you were growing up, did your parents or, you know, other family members discuss politics and social justice, things like this? Because recently there was an um, Indian girl who released a poem on, on social media. It's called Amidia Ponga, which basically means, you know, um, keep quiet and just go, you know, keep your mm. head down and just go. And the poem was very powerful because she talked about how in a lot of Indian families, um, you know, the, the sort of sentiment is, please, you know, just keep your head down, go to school and then go to work and then come back home. Don't get involved in all these things. Um, because you know it's dangerous. You don't want to. You don't want to get in, caught up in all these troubles. Um, as an Indian person, or the consequences might be much harsher. And ultimately, the point of the poem is to, you know, send out the message that the people will no longer, you know, just keep their head down and mind their own business and stay silent and stay out of it. You know that the people will start fighting back um, because it is the right thing to do. But I'm curious, Nalini. Um, what was it like in your family? Um, it was interesting because, uh, um, so my hometown is Podiksen, so kind of very far away from the politics that happening in Kuala Lumpur, right? Uh, basically, in, in this is the center of it. Mm -hmm. um, but my dad was very um, active in politics. You know, he was uh, in one of the political party. Um, in the beginning, we don't really talk about politics, you know. But I, I, I remember that my dad will be going for meetings. You know, he'll bring all this brochure. Um, and he'll just put it on the table. We just read it and then he, you know, and then that's it. So he never imposed anything on us. You know, he never imposed, but you also don't really talk about it openly. But he, I have seen how he sometimes read a newspaper, right? The Tamil newspaper. And then he actually read lots of um, politics that are happening in India. And he'll read out to me or my mom. And then he'll say, like, oh, this is what's happening and things like that. But we never had a discussion. But he always have exposed us to, to, to must-read newspapers every day. So you read all the things in the newspaper, but you don't have anyone to discuss. You just read and then you just, what you know, something else, right? 
Um, but after my sister, she became an activist. Um, she kind of trying to talk to talk about issues in you know in our uh, family. But she kind of like very uh, how to say this touch and go kind of conversation. She don't really go into it. But she always talked to me about you know some political situation, and I kind of interested in that. Um, and I I read all the leaflet that she brought to the house, and then I was always reading it. But we never really had that kind like very intense discussion about politics. But after I became an activist, um, I decided that I should not um, hide anything from my family, mm. Um, mm. especially from my mom and my dad. You know, they should know everything that I do because what I do is right; it's not wrong. And and I just told my family that I want to you know to join NGOs. I want to be part of this political thing. This is my work. This is what I do. You know, at the beginning, of course, you know, they felt like um, whether I, you know, this is uh, right choice or whether I can survive. All sort of the, the normal <laughs> what parents yeah. will have concerns about, which is valid, right? Because they are parents, and it's a valid concern. It's just that I open up and then I discuss it very openly with my parents, right? And over the years, things change. You know, everybody in the house started to talk about politics. Um, my parents know that I work, my daily work is trying sometimes, you know, have to face police a lot. Um, sometimes my dad uh, read newspaper and then he fo- will found out that I got arrested, things <laughs> like that. <right? laughs> um, but then um, I think we started to have this conversation and uh, my, my mom is no more, but whenever, when she was around, she always like, I go back home for holidays, right? Or for two days or something like that. My mom was like, don't you have work to do? <laughs> don't you need to save the world? You know, but she's she's not making fun, but she always like, don't you have work to do? You know, you're supposed to be busy and things like that. And she always asked me like, so what are the cases we've been handling recently? You know, so she was more interested to know what I'm doing. And my neighbors, for example, if they have any police issues, they they call me, you know, that's how, that's how things have changed. And in my house at this point of time, in political discussion is something very common something that everybody can talk very comfortably like to each other. And we, we have a lot of arguments. We have a lot of different opinions, but that's fine. You know, we all can have a very civilized kind of a discussion. Even my niece and nephews, who is like 12 and 13 years old, they talk about politics. You know, they ask me like, so auntie, what's going on in this country at this moment? <laughs> so I, I was like, wow. And then, so they will ask me about what is this political party is about? What is this about? So they have more interest. I think that, space that we provided in the house for people to talk comfortably is actually allow the even the you know the youngest in the family can talk about it very freely and then they don't feel scared to talk about it right so they always want to know what I'm doing what kind of meetings I'm sitting in if I say that I'm in meeting oh what meeting was that what you were discussing so there's a lot more interest in the family so I I think it's also I'm very glad that you know my family is very supportive Um, they never stop anything that we do in the in, in our family and my mom and my dad was like bigger support biggest uh backbone for activism that I'm doing so if without their support I don't think you know I would have stayed for example mm-hmm. because there would have been a lot of clashes right like yeah. whether you want to um make your family happy or not or you want to do your work or not but I think my family was dealing with it very very uh calm and then they didn't really give any trouble um, there's a lot of respect from my family members to me and my sister, you know, at, at some, at, it comes a point that without both of us, this, there won't be any discussion in the family. It's like, we must be there to discuss anything. So there's a lot of respect 
for our work and for ourselves. I'm glad that not every activist have this yeah. um, support, yeah, and uh, everyone have to go through some sort of challenges, you know, especially from family. But my family is more acceptance, and um, they accepted everything. So I think that's really, really important for any activist because no matter what going on around you, like whatever political environment, but when you just call and speak to your family, and then and then they give you the support, that is enough, you know, for for another uh, ten years maybe. So I think I'm I'm lucky in that sense, but um, I know that this um, activist struggle as well. Still, until today, some people having issues of convincing their families. You know? But um, I think it depends on your families. You know. On the show with me today is Nalini Elumalai. She is an activist and a program officer at Article 19 Malaysia. After the break, I'll be asking her about one of the most significant movements in recent Malaysian history. And that is the ISA rally, which Nalini was one of the key organisers of. We'll be back with more on Good Things, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Good Things. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Nalini Elumalai. She's an activist and a programme officer at Article 19 Malaysia. And we're talking about pretty much Nalini's journey in activism so far. You know, she is an experienced, um, you know, and relentless, fearless human rights defender. So we are talking about her journey today. Do you remember, Nalini, the first encounter you had with the police? I think uh, in 2003, because that was my first protest, was uh, anti-war, anti-Iraq war. Okay. Um, so it was opposite U.S. Embassy. And then, uh, so we gathered and I, and of course, you know, police didn't allow us to gather and there was a water cannon. Um, <laughs> so our instruction, uh, the instruction was given to, I was a student, you know, I was still in my first year. And the instruction given to us, when you see police, when you see FRU, don't run. You just walk. Um, and you don't do anything. You just walk, you know, you don't run and things like that. So there was a lot of FRU was uh, chasing us, right? And then I just stopped and then I just walked, you know. So the guy was like, cepat jalan, cepat jalan or something. Then I just scolded him. I think that's my first encounter, you know. Um, so that's, you know, that's the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know what's very interesting, Amnalini? Whenever I talk to activists, right, they always, I always ask this question, you know, how do you overcome your fear? How do you overcome your fear of the police? Um, and because, you know, we are, uh, the activists are putting their safety on the line. But when I talked to you, I think it was a few weeks ago, um, with, about the Bursay protest, right? You said you have no fear when it comes to this. Right, um, you do not fear the the authorities at all. Now, I've had the privilege of <laughs> seeing you in action um, for the first time in person, and I I believe you. But how, Nalini? How are you not afraid at all? I think before two thousand three, um, you know, I think there was a fear, right? Because I wasn't had the exposure dealing with them. Uh, but after 2003, I think there's no more fear because I think it's it comes with a lot of experience dealing with the situation. But it's also like um, whether uh, what you do is right or wrong. I'm doing the right thing. So I don't have to be afraid of anything. Unless I do really, really nasty things and, you know, I have to worry about like the consequences. But when I do right things, I don't need to worry a lot of stuff. 
Um, and I overcome that. Um, I think, I don't know how, but other people's, I think my experience dealing with issues, uh, dealing with police or authorities in, in my work has given me the strength, has given me the confidence that I can do it without need to have the fear. Um, and you have to be brave end of the day, you know, if, if the only way that we can get freedom, I believe that, you know, you get rid of the fear. And one, once the fear is not there, you can do so many things, you know, there's no obstacles for you anymore. Mm. Um, and I find it when some, when I have fear, there's so much of obstacles, right? I, I think about a lot of things, but when I free from that fear, I can do so many things. And, you know, I can involve in many things. And um, I think that's what matters to me. Um, and I, I know this is not the situation for many as well. I totally understand. I recognize and I acknowledge it. Um, but different people have different ways of dealing with it. For me, I just deal with whatever comes to me with the experience that I have. And and I believe what I do is right. And I just, you know, uh, and I, I believe until today that, you know, no matter what happened, uh, you know, I will, I'll get through this. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of solidarity around us. You know, there are a lot of people will come and support us. People will be very quiet, but it doesn't mean they don't support you. you know? So people also like a lot of people are supporting our work as well. So comparatively, um, now there are a lot of people out there, you know, uh, supporting you like in social media and things like that. Last time you cannot see all this, right? The support was like, it was there, but you cannot really see it. But now you can, you know, so I think that gives more strength, you know, that gives me more um, power, I guess, you know, uh, that I can do more things, you know, um, without fear. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you talk about, you know, experience um, and a time, a time where there was no social media. Now, I think this reminds me of a, a conversation <laughs> that we were having, uh, you know, just on Twitter with another human rights defender, Michelle Yesudas. And what was funny is um, she talked about how, because now, you know, we are seeing a new wave of young protesters. Um, the youth movement is growing. It's a new wave. And many people, a lot of people, of course, know who you are, but there are also people who may not be familiar. You know, they may be 18 and, you know, completely new to this and, and no, no idea who the Otais are and all of these <laughs> things, right? So, and, and what the, the funny thing is, so a lot of people uh, who, who saw you perhaps recently, um, uh, you know, doing your work, um, they were very, they were, all like, oh, who's this new um, activist, you know, youth activist, um, you know, <laughs> so very brave and, and all of those things. And, and Michelle uh, Yesudas, you know, pointed out that, I mean, uh, you look young and, and you have such a youth energy, but, you know, you've been doing this for years, you know, while some of us were in university, some of us were in high school, um, you were part organizing ISA rallies. Talk to me about the ISA rally in particular, because I think that was you know, one of the most significant um, rallies in perhaps the last 15 years or so in Malaysia. What was it like back then? It's always exciting to talk about ISA rally. Uh, actually, it was more than one year of planning um, because, you know, this is about ISA and we all know how ISA was used as a um, political tool, right? And it's a very, very dangerous kind of tool, um, everybody's scared of it. But along, I mean, there was so much of um, awareness, you know, uh, Swaram, for example, you know, it formed, born because of IAC. 
and I've done lots of work um, uh, empowering um, people and educating people about IAC. And then we had the Rakan Mansukan IAC, which was formed in 2001. So basically, it's a movement. Um, but we also had this, um, like, whether we want to try or not, we had a lot of protests. But ISA really was always in, like, you know, can we do this? Can we, can we, you know, get people on the street? Can we actually make um, this voice go out from, like, many people, right? But somehow we kind of had this one year of planning and, you know, like, so much of work has been put. Um, I remember when I first drafted the proposal for the rally and how it could be, um, I put forward in the committee and everybody was like, still, you know, you have this doubt, right? But then everyone was in the committee was like, let's do it. You know, let's just do this. Let's just test the ground, like how many people supporting this and how many people will come out. Let's just do this. So, and then we brought that uh, proposal to, um, you know, the opposition back then, like uh, passed and everyone's very, very, very committed. And I presented the proposal. And I remember Matsabu was there. Everyone from the political parties was there. And they were like, okay, let's do this, you know. Let's do this. So I think that's when when they all came on board, I think we got more confidence that, okay, let's do this. So in one year of work, and um, there are a lot of, um, I, you know, it's uh, every day, for example, um, we plan like distributing leaves because we didn't rely so much on social media back then. It was more traditional kind of mobilizing, right? Mm-hmm. So I remember hardly I was in the office. Every day I will be somewhere distributing leaflet or doing something else, meeting up people, um, you know, groups and everyone talk about the rally and then, you know, invite them to be part of. So I was doing so many, that kind of work. And then I remember my colleagues were like, hey, you are in office today. They were like very shocked that I'm, I'm actually part of the team, you know. So I always outside. But I think I remember um, the team was very solid. I had a really, really good committee to work with. Um, there was a lot of support was coming in as well from all the political parties and NGOs. I think that gave a lot of confidence. Um, and and we get we had a lot of charama, a lot of exhibitions. You know, it's a very traditional way of mobilizing. We we came up with a lot of leaflets. You know, so we go actually like in Sogo, we are leafleting, and so so I still I still remember those days that you know it's very really really hard work. You really go out and you do it every day. And when the on the day before the rally, there was so much of so many intimidation from the police. They say it's illegal, you shouldn't go. And then they started the fear. It's similar to what you see from the Lawan one, right? Uh, but that time was even much worse, right? It, it's all over the paper. Um, and then they were saying, um, like, you know, you shouldn't go for the rally, and there's a lot of intimidation and things like that. So, um, but then I think uh we were very stern and we were like, you have to do this, you know, no matter what happened. And whatever that's coming up after that, the post rally, you'll just see what happened. Um, so I think it's it's all just samagatla, you know, everyone had this like. So when on the day, um, of course, there was a lot of uh, um, the police, of course, they used water cannon and tear gases and things like that. But there were more than 50,000 people on the street in Kuala Lumpur for the first time, biggest anti-ISA rally in the history. And I think that that send a really important message to everyone, not just in the country, but all around the world, um, who actually was very supportive of our campaign. And and eventually, you know, after that, in 2009, after the rally, there were many people that we campaigned, that we mentioned in our campaign, were released. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot of pressure, you know. Um, There was a lot of international pressure as well. 
um, and they released. And then few years after that, um, and after, I mean, in 2010, government was, uh, at that time, was talking about, or oh, maybe we should amend the ISA. So from no, nothing to, like, we should amend the ISA. But we're like, no, you, sh- you know, you should abolish the ISA and things like that. But in 2011, when, um, I remember on 15 September 2011, uh, that was a very eventful year, right, with the EOC's birthday and things like that. And then he announced one day before the Malaysia Day that, you know, ISA will be abolished. Um, that was mm-hmm. something, I mean, of course, we take credit because, it, you know, that announcement didn't come just like that. There were so many things happened and there's so much of pressure happened and they actually pressured the prime minister back then to come up with, you know, uh, such a political um, announcement. Um, and of course, he didn't get good support from his own party and uh, own uh, coalition. But we took it um, a credit out of it because there was 30 years of work was put forward to educate people. Um, and and everybody have told how this uh, ISA was a political tool used against uh, uh, people who are critical of government, you know. And nobody has, until today, there was no one has char- charged or tried in court, you know. That's how uh, abusive it was. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, for me, it's like, um, it's it's a one of the most important moments for everyone in the civil society as well, because it's a long campaign. And finally, we see that abolishment. Of course, they replaced it with SOSMA. So the point is like, you know, you can abolish the laws, yeah. but the most important is you need to stop the practice of uh, detention without trial. That hasn't stopped. So our struggle is to stop that practice, you know, not just abolish the laws, but you need to stop government from not allowing people to be tried in court, right? So that is a long struggle and I think it's still ongoing. From the ISA rally to Bursay over the years, you know, to the Lawan protests that we are seeing recently, this new movement, what are the changes you've seen over the years from two perspectives, right? One from the perspective of, you know, the authorities. Have their methods changed have we as the rakyat, you know, reclaimed a little bit of the, the democratic space over the past, since you started until now? Have you seen change in that um, regard? And also when it comes to public support, because I'm wondering if there was a time where a lot of people in the public, um, because perhaps there was no social media and things like that, maybe they were unaware or they you know, they thought, oh, who are these rebels? Why, why are they causing uh, problems and things like that? And, and versus how it is now. I'm wondering if, if there are shifts in public perception towards um, people's movements as well. I think what I can see changes basically the way we mobilize. As I said, you know, in 2009, it wasn't really a social media kind of thing. It's more traditional methods. Um, but after 2010, especially after the Arab Spring, which actually was mobilized through Facebook and social media, I think that has changed how we work as well, you know, how we mobilize as well. So I think we rely so much on social media nowadays for any mobilization. I think that's one of the differences I can see. Um, and in terms of movement, I think it's more, uh, we can see more support, definitely um, there are more people are coming out and support more younger generations aware of issues, you know, um, politically, they are more aware. Anyone now can talk about any issues, um, you know, uh, without fear. Um, of course, there are a lot of other restrictions, you know, comes with some consequences. But 
I wouldn't say that, but there's a space for people to express themselves. It's much, much better than before. And then, you know, no more same faces. Uh, in the, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so you can see some really new faces um, in, in, the, in the movement, you know, which is really, really good because movement is, is that, right? The, move, uh, the more you move, you know, the more new blood should come in. And I think that's what's happening now. Um, as there's no more the same people as organizing anymore. Um, there's a new people are doing it, like Lawan and everyone. They're doing extremely good job, you know. And um, I think during the pandemic, um, we never had this experience before, you know. We never had someone wearing masks and go for protests. Uh, it never was the case. But now during the pandemic, you know, there are people who are out there taking some risk and still occupying the space um, and reclaiming the democratic space is what matters. So I think that actually gave a lot of um, uh, inspiration to people that, you know, no matter in what situation you are, you should never give up on the rights that you have. You should never give up on reclaiming all the, um, the spaces that we need for, for us to, you know, have a more vibrant democracy in this country. So I think that these are some of the changes um, I can see, you know, and um, I'm, I'm really happy I'm still young, but I'm not that young, you know, but I'm, I'm really happy to see that really like people in their eight, 18 or 19, um, you know, talking about issues that we never spoke about in the past, like really, you know, difficult issues that they want to talk about. So I think, I think in terms of discussions about politics also have changed um, and there are new issues are being uh, brought up for the discussion and so like gender, women, you know, um, and how the representations of minorities is very important. So these are all new kind of uh, discussions taking place. So I think as a society, I think we also moving towards, you know, discussing more openly on certain issues that maybe not in my generation would like to want to talk about it, right? It must be something difficult. Um, maybe there's no perspective at that point of time. Now there's a lot of reading materials. There are a lot of discussions happening in the internet. So you, you have so much of exposure um yeah i think but of course the authorities you know uh if they might have changed some kind of matters you know they arrested now they're going to the homes and then you know checking address and things like that that always will be there if you don't change how the institutions work mm-hmm. you know we have to make sure that we, we we change the misuse of power in the institutions like police and everyone you know that's another level of campaign and efforts that need to take place um, and we really need to tell them that you know you need they need to practice separation of power they need to be independent so this all is part of the democracy that we are working towards right and hopefully one day when we all protest you know they will be more open to facilitate even now in some protests they do because under the peaceful assembly act that's what they're supposed to do um, but they also still you know uh, arresting and intimidating I hope one day that will be stopped and then, you know, they actually can be more to actively support the rallies and, you know, facilitate without need to go through any intimidation. What would you say is your biggest accomplishment over the years? Because, you know, like you said, activists and even um, journalists and all, right, you know, 
when we get into the the field, especially activists, the dream is to you know change the world. Especially when you're a young person, eighteen years old, nineteen years old, you know, oh, I'm gonna join activism, and by the time I'm done. Wow, this world is going to be utopia. But you know, as it goes along, you realize that that's not necessarily the case. Um, it's always an uphill battle for the progressives, and oftentimes a victory is just merely pushing the needle, perhaps zero point one centimeters forward, and and, the, and that's important. So out of all of that, right? Um, the small victories, the the bigger victories that you've had over the years. Um, what what stands out to you the most? I don't see any because it's a collective work. It's mm-hmm. a teamwork. You know, I can never claim this is my work mm-hmm. because everything is collective. Everything is a teamwork, and I think every movement, every success of you know abolishing laws or even you know reclaiming democracy space is also um, something that uh, uh, I'm part of it, and that's how I see it. You know, who no matter whoever leading it, you know, um, for me, if there's a change in the society. And I'm part of it. That's all uh, my uh, accomplishment as well, you know. Now, of course, you know, the ISA rally is something that I'm very proud of um, as a person because I think that that has so many um, efforts and work has put on it. But, you know, that's that's accomplishment for every Malaysians, I guess, um, you know, uh, because everyone has contributed um, in, in the struggle. And, and its credit goes to everyone who's part of it. You know, I think it, it idea may, might have come from us, but, you know, people around us make it success, right? So I think it goes to them. And I think for me, every time I see there's a, there's a victory of, you know, marginalized people winning um, um, free houses or people actually coming out and talk about the violations that happened to them or people who are actually challenging the government or the police because of that in custody. This all are something that, you know, I find it is also an accomplishment of everybody, you know, that I think every time there's a, there's, there is a people out, you know, speaking out is for me, it's like, okay, you know, uh, we might have done something in that, uh, you know, for them to speak up. So I think that's how I see it. Uh, but eventually I think every change that happened in this country is, is belongs to everyone and not one person can claim credit out of it. That's how I see it. All right, Nalini, as we wrap up this conversation, would you have a final message for us, perhaps on the, you know, on your hope for the future in Malaysia, or you know, perhaps a message um, for you know newer activists who are only just you know beginning their journey right now? What advice uh, would you have for them? I really hope keep doing what you do. You know, keep believing in yourself and never doubt that whatever you do is wrong or right. You know, I think um, for anyone to to talk about um, human rights, it's already a huge thing and, and everybody on the right path on that. Keep believing that change will happen. Op- be optimist, uh, you know, as well. Uh, never give up on believing that things will change. And and I think for the younger uh, generation activists, you know, try to connect yourself with what happened in the past because everything has a connection, Right. What happened in 2009 is also, you know, something that we all learn what we shouldn't do now. So there's a connection to it, you know. Every movement, there's a connection to it. It doesn't just happen like that. Try to find the connection. Try to learn from the past um, and what can be avoided. You know, a lot of things are happening now I've done, you know, in the past. 
So it's just more like learning, more like go out there and, and, and approach people, you know, and ask for more uh, experience, you know, like what they went through and things like that. Take some initiative proactively to learn and to read things that happened in the past because I that I think that information might be, knowledge might be lacking. Um, so I just hope everyone will do that. Go and have conversation with like very older generation activists as well. Learn, you know, not necessarily everyone was right, you know, not necessarily whatever they've done is also, they might have something that to tell you as well. So learn from everyone, from the younger to the older generation. Go and try to have that connection, you know, because every event in this country has a connection to it, you know. So I think that's what I want to see. On that note, Nalini, thank you so much for speaking with me today and thank you so much for constantly fighting for all of us. Thank you, Dash. Thanks for the opportunity. That was Nalini Elumale, an activist and program officer at Article 19. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can check out the podcast on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan and this has been Good Things, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.